Welcome back to Everyday Civics. This is episode two of the podcast. I am Mr. Schechter, and we are recording live from the Queen TV studios here in Alexandria, Virginia. And today we do have something special on our agenda. Um, after I give a little bit of an introduction about our topic, I'm going to bring in a number of students um, from Twain Middle School, and we're going to discuss uh, student activism, especially today, uh, especially in the wake of the shooting in Parkland, Florida, back in February of 2018. And much of the conversation revolves around their rights, uh, the student protests, the walkouts, and uh, the March for Our Lives, and, and where they really see their role. So I do encourage you to stay tuned and be sure you catch that part uh, in the second half of today's program. So I'm going to just jump right into it. We're going to discuss students and the First Amendment, particularly in school. And there's a lot of different, I wouldn't say controversies, but there's uh, plenty of confusion when it comes to what are students' rights when it comes to expression and freedom of speech and press and all of that. And as someone who is an advisor of a media organization here at Mark Twain Middle School, it's it's something that I deal with, that I work with, uh, and I make sure that you know whatever we do here on, on Twain TV basically follows a number of um, balances between student rights and free expression, but also understanding that as the advisor or as someone who represents the school, there's other responsibilities to make sure that um, our, our content is necessarily appropriate. So much of student rights and First Amendment expression can be traced to a number of Supreme Court cases. So I'm going to talk about that um, at length and then get into sort of other, other issues here. And the major Supreme Court case that uh, open the door for student rights is the Tinker versus Des Moines decision that goes back to 1969. It is a landmark decision of the United States Supreme Court. And it revolves the siblings of John Tinker and Mary Beth Tinker, um, as well as Hope Tinker and Paul Tinker, and along with uh, their friends and a few other people. And it was during the Vietnam War, so it was 1965. And they were thinking of a way to I imagine, protest the war, but also not really get into trouble. <laughs> and they came up with the idea of wearing these black armbands. And if you go, I do believe the museum here in Washington has an original armband from this decision. And it's a basic black armband. It's very simple. And it has a, a peace symbol on it. And they basically wore them and uh, just wore them silently, saying that it was a, a silent protest. Uh, the school got wind of this and decided to ban the black armbands and said that any student that would wear them uh, would basically face disciplinary action. So the Tinkers and, and that group still decided to press on, uh, saying that they really felt strongly about it. Uh, and so they wore the black armbands. The school took action. And then the students, basically their parents, of course, um, and I believe the American Civil Liberties Union also uh, stepped in and they filed a case basically saying that students had the First Amendment uh, freedom of speech and expression. And what the Supreme Court ruled was 
that the First Amendment certainly extends to students, uh, certainly extends to those who are under the age of 18, which you know most students are, um, and that they are free to express themselves in school. So the black armbands were constitutionally protected and students could, could wear them to show their, their, their protest. So they did say that, um, that's a very, uh, one of the famous quotes that come out of that case to, is to say that a student does not lose their rights you know, in the schoolhouse gate as it goes. And um, and they did make one, they made a little bit of a, a, a caveat here. Okay, they said, look, students do have First Amendment freedom of expression, but the school also has an interest in keeping an orderly and disruption-free environment. So as long as your political expression, your First Amendment expression does not cause a disruptive situation, then it's going to be okay. So uh, that was a, a big win, a big win, and it, and it opened up a lot of different doors. So since then, that basically opened up the floodgates. And um, you know, back in, in here in Fairfax County, where, where I teach civics, um, there's a giant booklet called Student Rights and Responsibilities, and it does go into that. It talks about that students do have the right to express themselves, and, and they do have that sort of thing. So most of the time you see that, and I explain to um, my classes that that includes things like the shirts that you wear, uh, you're supporting a band, maybe you're even supporting a political candidate, or uh, some sort of movement and initiative, just you know, how, do you, how you show yourself to the world, right? Is your expression of your First Amendment rights, which is great. However, students don't have the right to just shout out whatever they want in class, just yell out their opinions, block the hallway, um, that sort of thing. Like that's, that's not, you know, stage sit-ins, which actually did happen here at our school many, many, many years ago, almost 11 years ago, actually, <laughs> when eighth graders thought that, oh no, seventh graders are going to be invited on things that were reserved only for eighth graders. They're wrong. But somehow that rumor spread and a bunch of them decided to to do a quote-unquote sit-in where they would not report to their first period classes. Yes, it was a little silly, but I was entertained. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> anyway, uh, so that decision was... Um, pared down a little bit. Uh, so it was clarified in subsequent Supreme Court decisions. So there are three in particular, uh, two of which are just, well, let's just say I, I really love being a, a civics teacher when I, I start talking about these cases because they're just very amusing. Uh, one of the major cases is what's called Hazelwood versus uh, Colmare. And that was a decision that, actually affects uh, Twain TV. It affects all school newspapers, uh, particularly those that are funded or sponsored by schools. And in that, um, the principal decided to take out articles from the school newspaper that had to do with uh, divorce amongst students' parents and also um, articles about, I think it was uh, teen pregnancy if I recall correctly. And the students, again, 
claim that they had First Amendment protection, freedom of uh, the press. Uh, but the Supreme Court did rule that the school does have the right to um, exclude things that are, are basically what's called inconsistent with the school's basic educational mission um, or things that, that could be, you know, they were concerned that, that, um, that these articles could uh, upset students or really be something that was overly controversial. Um, so in that decision, schools do have the right to censor out content. Again, not to a large extent. Like they, they don't completely allow the school to t basically take out whatever it wants. Um, I imagine that articles, in fact, I myself have printed articles that was critical of my own school in a school-sponsored newspaper. So that sort of stuff is, is all protected. Um, as long as other you know, journalistic standards are upheld, that, that there's truth to those articles, or at least you know, the opinions are well-informed, that the wording is, is appropriate, that, you know, that sort of stuff. But So in that, in that effect, um, this, the school's freedom of expression was a little bit limited. And then uh, two other cases where I think students really try to test, test the limits of the First Amendment. Uh, one in particular is the Bethel School District versus Frazier, in which a senior, uh, Matt Frazier, Matthew Frazier, was disciplined by a school after giving a speech that did not have any explicit language. Um, if you heard the speech, or at least read it, a reasonable person could assume that uh, Mr. Frazier's intentions were a little more, um, how, I say, how should I say, uh, profane. And as he was giving the speech, the students, of course, caught on to it. They started laughing along um, and found it very funny. And schools, the school officials certainly <laughs> caught on to what Mr. Frazier was intending in his speech, disciplined him, and again, he tried to sue, basically claiming First Amendment. And um, the Supreme Court said um, that, again, you <laughs> the speech was disruptive. So that's the, the tinker standard. And also, <laughs> in terms of being socially appropriate, the schools do have the right and power to curtail that sort of um, obscene speech things that could be considered vulgar or indecent or really plainly offensive. So again, that's, that's a little bit of a limit. So you can't obviously as a student walk around with a t-shirt that says, you know, some sort of curse words on there or some sort of foul language on there. That's just not, not going to fly. And, and you can't claim first amendment. Supreme court has already said that the schools have that, you know, responsibility and power to, to control that sort of thing. So that was one case. And that was, um, that case itself was actually decided back in 1986. And a more recent case is Morse versus Frederick. And that is uh, from 2007. And that goes to a school that um, I believe the school is in Utah, uh, if I recall correctly. And, oh, nope, I'm wrong. It's Juno Douglas High School in Alaska. Um, where there was an event held 
for the Olympic torch relay as the 2002 Olympics were coming to Salt Lake City in Utah and the school was basically having a, you know, the students come out and watch the Olympic torch run by. So a group of students decided that just as this torch relay was going to run past their school, there would be TV cameras, there would be all sorts of attention uh, from the media where um, they could be seen. These students decided to unfurl a banner that read, Bong Hits for Jesus. So, um, the student claimed that he had seen that phrase on a snowboard sticker. Yeah. At that point, the principal um, ran across the street, took the banner, and suspended Frederick for five days for violating the school's anti-drug policy. And, um, and so basically when that uh, case worked its way up to the Supreme Court, that uh, the Supreme Court did, did not rule in Frederick's favor, in fact, ruled for the school system and um, more or less said that the school can also curtail speech uh, at a school-sponsored event, or at least reasonably near the school, um, that could be viewed as promoting illegal drug use. So uh, I must say, at least as a teacher, when I was discussing this case and like what the sign said and all kind of stuff, uh, there was a little more explaining I had to do that I was not quite um, ready for. So all of that said, um, that gives you a pretty general view of uh, student protections uh, under the First Amendment. And so what is fascinating about it, and we'll discuss this more in the second half of today's show, is that um, after uh, the Parkland shootings and uh, the, the media attention that was brought about um, and the activism by the school of students there, um, that it led to particularly two different walkouts. And as an educator, as someone who's worked here at uh, Twain Middle School for 11 years, uh, I was fascinated by the fact that these student walkouts were actually addressed uh, by our administration at the school. Uh, not only the first one uh, that was held just a few days after um, that, it wasn't as well organized. It was just sort of spread around. It wasn't even sure whether or not this thing was going to be a thing. Uh, but the walkout that was planned for the March 14th date, um, one month, the one month anniversary of the shooting, uh, that was very widely well known. It was well publicized. There was a lot of buzz about it. And our own school district said that um, the, that the school does not, schools don't necessarily condone the activity. However, uh, they don't they cannot, um, or they, they, you know, should use a lot of discretion when it comes to trying to prevent students from walking out um, for longer than a reasonable amount of time. And, and the guidelines, I think, that the, the school system, at least here in Fairfax County, set were more or less, um, if students choose to walk out, that's their choice, um, that they, that it would be best for them to remain on school grounds for the 17 minutes or so that the planned walkout was scheduled for um, in terms of like what they were looking to do 
as a movement. And then uh, provided that students did this orderly, that they weren't disruptive, um, that they came back after that 17 minute period of time, uh, then all would be okay. Like they wouldn't have disciplinary action and that sort of stuff taken against them. And as a teacher, this actually seems to be the first time that I can remember uh, planning for students to walk out of school, like as a protest. And uh, I was just fascinated by just how much, um, you know, basically how much momentum was gained and how much momentum basically grew uh, to the point where the school systems at least around the, the D.C. area, all um, addressed it. And most of them had pretty similar sorts of policies. So, so there you go. But, and again, at our school um, here, I think the email that was sent out about it said that about 125 or so students actually participated in this walkout. And they left, they came back, and it was all good. So you'll, you'll hear some of the experiences that uh, they had, again, in the second part. So... Um, like I personally, I, I like hearing about student activism. I'm not going to, um, go into detail about my own opinions. I don't feel that's appropriate here, but, um, at least as an educator, one of the things that I, I really hope to see is, uh, students who want to take an active part in being a citizen in this country, uh, that they want to get out and vote, that they want to get out and, call the representatives, that they want to go to these protests, that they want to spread the message uh, on different social media platforms. They, they want to be part of something that is greater than themselves and something that can produce um, a social change or, or just, uh, you know, making, making our country a better place, essentially, and, and participating in this sort of discourse. As long as it's in a civil and well-informed and... Um, non, I would say, combative way that certainly respects the rights and opinions of those that don't necessarily agree with them, right? And, and that actually has been something that I've been pretty impressed with uh, going forward about this sort of movement is, is that, at least around here in our building, the way that our students talk about it, discuss about it, is, is from a place that's certainly not... Um, not one from ignorance, no. It is, it's one where they, they're, they're really trying to understand the facts, understand what they're asking for, and, um, you know, go and, and try and be part of, of this movement. So with that said, that's a little bit of a background of where students in the First Amendment are. Um, and if you're curious to hear more about this or, or what have you, you can certainly uh, send a tweet to us. Uh, we are at Twain TV, one word. Um, also on our Facebook page or Instagram or whatever other social media platforms uh, that you're, you happen to be on. Uh, but at this point, we're going to go ahead and take a little bit of a break. And then I'm going to go in and bring in our student panel for part two. So... Um, I hope you enjoy this episode of Everyday Civics. Uh, we'll be back in just a moment. Do you like what you hear? Hear? There's so much more. So subscribe to our podcast channel, Twain TV Presents. You can check it out wherever you get podcasts. There's Twain Talk, Regina and Maddie Talk A Lot, and Sports Ball Talk. It's a lot of talk. 
Now, if you want to see Twain TV, then subscribe on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash News. All right, and welcome back to Everyday Civics. I am Mr. Schechter here with you, and uh, as a very special treat, I've brought along a panel of students, and we're going to discuss their role um, here as far as uh, the First Amendment and everything else. So uh, why don't you guys start introducing yourselves? Uh, Clara, why don't you begin and then go around the table there? Uh, hi, I'm Clara. I'm in the eighth grade, and I'm fabulous. My name is Suzanne. I am also in the eighth grade. My name is Jada. I'm in the eighth grade, and I am more fabulous. And my name is Elizabeth, and I'm also in the eighth grade. All right. So um, what we've actually witnessed um, over the last few weeks, especially in the wake of the shooting in Parkland, Florida, is a rise of student activism. So I, I wanted to get uh, your take on it and uh, what you guys felt like your role in terms of uh, being student activists are. So you all can jump in as you wish. Well, I guess like we should we should speak out for ourselves because we are technically like the future. Like so, if we're all dead by the time we can actually impact the world, then. What's the point? <laughs> we are the future because when all the old people who believe in their Second Amendment rights are dead, there's still going to be people that are dying because of the Second Amendment rights. And there needs to be control on who is allowed to have guns, who is allowed to bear arms, and with proper background checks and age limits that can be enforced. Well, even past being the future, this is stuff that is affecting kids now because, you know, people should have the right to go to school and feel safe and this mm -hmm. isn't this isn't something that should be taken away. And so that's why I think it's so important that they're doing something right now to stop it. Student activism is very important because it is teaching us like how how to be an adult almost it's a certain level of maturity and also it's enforcing that we get the rights that we want and that we need for our generation when we're older and um how did it guys make you feel that especially in the wake of the shooting that these protests were really student driven that there was um like not like a single adult uh in terms of one, any of the speakers at the you know, March for Our Lives and that sort of stuff. And, um, uh, you know, what, what, how, how do you feel about that? Well, I think it's great because, in all honesty, this is a problem that has been going on for quite a long time. I take Columbine, which happened 18 years ago, if I'm correct. I thought it was 19. I thought it was 19. Again, it happened at least at least 18. This isn't a new thing. And the fact of the matter is, is that no adults had really done anything about it. Or if they had attempted to, it hadn't been successful. So I felt it was really important for students to take this in their own hands. I think it's, oh, you know. <laughs> Especially in the recent shootings with kids realizing that they can be the only one to make a ch change, they're really using the power and their strength in numbers to let the people in power know how they feel. And I think it's a good thing that it is mainly student-driven because if it was still like led by an adult, I guess it would give off the vibe where it's like, we don't really know what we're doing, but like 
you're making me mad. Like almost like a giant temper tantrum, but like now that like it is student driven, it gets like it shows that we have our own independence, we have our own opinions, and we want something to happen, not because an adult says so, but because we actually like believe it. Adults always say like, just wait until you're older, just wait until you're older, just wait until you're older. And I think that like because these protests are fully student driven, like the, the kids are basically just saying, well, now we're old enough and we're just gonna voice our opinion. We're just gonna do what, what needs to be done. Yeah, because some kids don't get to wait until they're older and they have to speak now before it's too late. And a large part of these, these protests was sort of this widespread adoption of student walkouts. There were two. There was one that was pretty much immediately after uh, the shooting happened. And of course, the one that was um, marking the one month anniversary. And that got a lot of attention on social media. Um, and and what, was your, what was your view on these, on these walkouts? Like, how, how did you feel about them? Oh, Okay, personally, at our school, I think the walkouts were a success. The first one was more of an excuse to leave class for most students, but the second one was completely silent. I liked how kids handled most things, and there was a speech and a prayer, and I thought everyone really felt the need for the cause and not just to get out of class. So I think the walkouts are a really great way to protest. It's something that kind of shows how you feel and it shows how you're dedicated to something, but it's it is disruptive. It is disruptive, but it's not as disruptive as other things. So I think it's a good way to kind of show again how you feel, but without being too extreme. It show like it's good because like while they are disruptive because like you're missing class time, it's one of the more peaceful ways to go about it, like standing outside and being silent for 17 minutes for the 17 victims. But I also um, think that they're good because it also just kind of shows that it's like hey we're here, like it's not like we're not just gonna like sit around and yell and complain like we want this and we want you to know that we want a change and that we are aware of what's happening. I think that on a more widespread level, I think that the walkouts will be effective and have been effective. Um, there have been hearings in Congress um, about doing more to stop gun violence in schools, especially, so. Hmm. And a lot of, uh Local school districts um, really came out uh, ahead of this and um, gave guidance. So here in uh, Fairfax County, for example, uh, the, the basic policy was, was that they were um, not exactly endorsing these protests, but if students chose to participate in them um, and they kept it to basically the, the 17 minutes that was being discussed um, and came back, that they wouldn't necessarily face uh, disciplinary actions and uh, other school districts had similar sorts of policies on that. Um, did you guys feel that the the school did a good job of supporting your First Amendment rights in this case? Yeah, I think it did a pretty good job because like Miss, Mr. Miller handled it well by being like, like this is what you should do, this, this, and this, what you shouldn't do, but like, and like, although he like he said like, he didn't necessarily support it, but he allowed it to happen, which is, I think, 
important because if he like didn't, then that would have been, I think, harder. More of a, less of a turnout and more yeah. of a retaliation back at him. Also, a lot of independent teachers didn't support it and a lot I heard didn't let their students out, but I also, a lot of younger teachers and generally nicer teachers let us see. <laughs> yeah. Well, it wasn't just a phase of nicer is I enjoyed how how the school district as a total allowed us to walk out and do this. But as far as it went from teacher to teacher, there were some teachers that didn't let their students out. Now, I personally didn't have that problem. Mm -hmm. I don't think any of you did, but we definitely had friends and peers who had this issue. And I really think that the county should do better at, you know, having teachers be aware that, you know, they should let their students go to protest for this. The school definitely um, handled the situation well as a whole. The county definitely handled the situation as a whole. Um, they tolerated it. They didn't have any disciplinary actions. They told us what we are allowed to and, are allow and aren't allowed to do. Um, and I really think that that was good. Didn't they say though that for the first protest, they said, cause like it went, it happened at kind of odd time. Didn't they say that like whoever was late to class was gonna get written up though? Yeah, they did. Yeah. They, cause but it was around lunch time. Yeah. And they said whoever was coming late would get a late tardy pass. But I don't think that was really enforced. I think it was an empty threat because a lot of kids were like, walking to class afterwards, and I didn't hear of anyone getting punished. And so, um, moving on, so you guys are eighth graders, um, and there's a, a school of thought, perhaps, that, that maybe you guys are a little like young, you're not exactly aware enough uh, to be participating in these things, or like kids are walking out because they just want to leave school, or or that sort of stuff. Um, what is what is your reaction to to those who might feel like you're not quite like ready for this level of, of student activism? Well, no one else older seems ready enough for that kind of activism, <laughs> or else things would be changed. But no, a lot of people are scared of making a change, is scared of standing up in fear of being unnormal, but. Instead, it's just a lot of average, ordinary people living in a dangerous world. Well, I feel like it's, uh, it annoys me how they're like, oh, you're too young. It's like, yeah, but it still affects me theoretically if a kindergartner is knowing what they're talking about. They could, they should, could and also should be allowed to um, be able to speak out, but obviously they're like six, so they don't. But it also, it's also annoying because it shifts from year to year. Because even just a high school freshman, people will listen more to because they're like, oh, you're in high school, you're mature. But I'm like, they're literally a year older than us. So I feel like we should be able to get more, I guess, credit. People in middle school and elementary school, like, they can still watch the news. They can still read the news. They can know what's going on in the world around them. and. Like, they, they know what they're talking about sometimes, and 
Yeah. They get the concept <laughs> that the issues affecting them need to be handled by more than just adults that aren't as affected. Mm -hmm. I also would like to note that the mass amount of information is more wildly accessible than it maybe was in the past, right? Because, you know, most middle schoolers, well, about half middle schoolers have their phone and that phone can be used to read the newspaper or look at some sort of news source or article so they can have, again, more information based on that. So they're a lot more versed in these topics than in the past they may have been. We're a generation that has like so much information just at, like, at our fingertips. And so hopefully if the person is like, mature enough or smart enough to be able to do their research, they know what we're talking, like they're talking about. They're not just kind of spewing off like what their parents said or what they think is like cool or right or like like and like false information that like they just kind of caught wind of because like they can know like the true hard facts and we should be able to speak out against it and be able to say what we want because we know what is also it's very easy to like set up no notifications on your phones to get notifications from news sources and like read the headlines really fast and like it doesn't take much time but like you get yeah on that point I get notifications from the Washington Post and CNN I get a few notifications <laughs> I think I have CNN set up Washington Post Politico New York Times yeah New York Times a few other ones too and like they, they just like pop up on my phone and then I can read it <laughs> So is that basically like the key that you guys are, are saying is to make sure that you're, you're staying informed, that you're yeah. not? Yes, because, because you don't want to be like, oh, I want this, but you don't know what you actually want or you don't know what you're fighting for. It's like, mm -hmm. yeah. make sure you know what you're talking about and what you're like against before you like start screaming about how much you hate it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> also, know your opinion before you just yeah. your friends. Like, yeah. don't be a bandwagoner, cause especially in politics. Cause and also, to... like, if you know your facts, then that makes you sound like, and, and like you are. It make, but like, it it convinces adults more that you are oh, mature yeah. enough and old enough to know what's going on, and that you do know what's going on. It gives you more credibility. Yes. yes. It's an interesting point. Like, do you do you feel like you guys have to not only address a point, but also um, find ways to legitimize your opinion? Like, is, is there is there something where you, you feel like you have to prove yourself going on over here? Like, I, I just heard that a little bit in, in some of your responses. Oh, definitely, def because of the because of our age, people. Most people don't take our opinions very seriously. They believe it's a bandwagon-based thing or it's an ill-informed thing. So it's definitely important that you have sources to back you up for people to listen to you and to take your opinions seriously. You also have to bring up historical facts. Cite your, cite your sources because adults will do anything to discredit all of the opinions and facts that you have up on the table. So you have to make sure that what you're saying is accurate and they w are quick to discredit anything on the internet. So um, kind of wrapping up things here, uh, what do you guys feel are the, uh, the next steps that have to be to be put in place? Like how does, how does this uh, keep going and um, 
uh, how do yeah, like like what part can you guys play? What part can students in general play in in trying to um, continue uh, this this conversation? Become informed, know what you're talking about, and be active. Don't be just like, oh, so many people are going to the march, and I don't feel like it, so I'm not going to. Or like, oh man, I'm gonna miss my favorite TV show on a Saturday. Or like, yeah. like stand up, let your voice be heard, because. Be active, be informed, make sure that you know what you're talking about. Let people know that what you have to say is special. And if like they're not listening, then that person isn't worth your time. Go go to someone that will listen. And but don't be immature about it. Don't start like shouting and screaming and complaining and whining. Be like, no, this is what we want. This is how we want it. This is what's wrong. This is what we think should happen. Not just like, oh no, guns are gross. Yeah, like you all said, it's very important to be informed on the issue. I also think it would be best if we worked towards actually working with um, congressional members to kind of pass these laws, or even if it's locally based, trying to get more involved in the overall government and its process. As far as next step goes, next steps go, um, obviously stricter gun laws should yes. be implemented. <laughs> Um, and it should be enforced more than it is to keep guns out of schools so that this doesn't happen again. Do not arm teachers for all that is holy. Oh yeah. Please. That, <laughs> that's the like, opposite of what, we, of what we need. It's like, mm, yes, more guns. Yeah, mm. more guns in schools, because that's totally what we need. Yeah. Counter to you. Yep. All right, so, um, as we uh, wrap it up, do you guys have any uh, final thoughts or, or anything else you wish to uh, to share today? Okay. Um, yeah, I think that um, this um, movement, I guess to say, is very important because it's affecting kids, yes. and this is just a way to kind of make people feel feel safer, not be safer, be safer, and to be stronger. Like, and obviously the past is the past, but I am slightly disappointed in past generations for not doing anything when Columbine happened. It's taken uh, like like almost two decades, two decades for anything to start happening, and that's after uh, dozens of children, like childhood deaths, people who, like kids who shouldn't die, who should have been and were looking forward to a long life and becoming that firefighter that they wanted to become. But no, we had to wait until more people were killed. Just this year, there there have already been dozens of mass shootings. And in school shooting, and like school shootings specifically. Not dozens, but. Yeah. There's, there's been, been more than there should be. Yeah, there were some that should not. Like, none of them should have happened. <laughs> uh, I think that about wraps up our uh, discussion today. Uh, so, Clara, Suzanne, Jada, Elizabeth, thank you all for, for being here today. And, um, and great job. Great job just expressing yourselves.